All right, good evening, and welcome again to our current look at the, uh, the Reformation uh, as we continue our overview of church history on the shoulders of giants. Uh, we looked at Luther a couple weeks ago, and now we're going to continue with one of the most gifted and influential of theologians, and probably one of the most controversial as well. And we have one of our supported missionaries with us to tell him about it, uh, tell us about him. Uh, so before we jump in, I'm going to ask Brad to open us in a word of prayer. Our Father, we thank you for uh, the rich heritage that we enjoy as believers. Uh, we are grateful for your plan of sending Jesus to the earth to get right what Adam messed up and to die a death that all of us deserved but none of us uh, was capable of uh, of giving in the way that Jesus did in our place. We thank you for his sacrifice, and we thank you uh, for the clarity that many throughout our history as believers, as the church, especially John Calvin, brought to uh, the understanding of what you have done and the, and the understanding of the scriptures that teach us what you want us to know about you and about your plan. So we pray tonight, as Ricky shares with us, <coughs> that you would open our hearts and minds and that we would be excited, not about John Calvin, but about Jesus in the end, in whose name we pray. Amen. Our uh, speaker tonight, Ricky Mill, is not only one of our supportive missionaries, he's also uh, was in extremely instrumental uh, in the formation of Grace Community Church. If you've read our church constitution, Ricky uh, took a good bit of the lead on that and helped our church be established uh, on the word in the ways that it is. He was here for three and a half years, uh, I believe, right, Ricky? And you want to maybe say just a word about that, and then we will uh, hear from you, our John Calvin scholar. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> let's don't get carried away about that. <laughs> John Calvin Scholar thing. Um, I was just mentioning that uh, in those early days, uh, Jim was a part of that. We were sitting around a table with myself and a pastor and four lawyers trying to come up with a, with a document. And if you know anything about lawyers, we wordsmithed every word in that constitution for hours. And, and it's a and, long one. And months. I think we took two years to finally get it in a form that we felt uh, was something that we could, we could go with. So it was, a, it was a great process, though, just getting to know those guys and working with them to, to lay a foundation for what God might do in the subsequent years as, uh, as he's now gathered you folks, given you a building, and uh, given you ministry and mission. And so it's a wonderful thing for me to see all of that, and Jim was a part of that early, early discussion, and uh, to see what God has done has been pretty Pretty encouraging along the way. Yeah. I, I might just uh, say that uh, I come at this John Calvin thing um, sort of legitimately. Um, I was ordained uh, the first time in the Presbyterian Church of America, and uh, my father's from Scotland. And so I, I sort of grew up as a Presbyterian, and uh, Calvin was, was always central to the kind of churches I was in, to the kinds of environments that I was in. And so if I have any, 
any expertise. It's mostly just those kinds of things. Uh, but I have I've thoroughly enjoyed reflecting on his life. And, uh, and I'm just going to go through uh, the notes that I gave you and uh, won't cover all of them. But I wanted to start with a, uh, just a word about biography. You can study history, and you can study history chronologically. You can study uh, individuals and events and uh, geography and, and other dimensions that uh, are included in, in history. But uh, I would just challenge you to linger along the way and really get to know individuals, uh, read their biographies. A lot of what I have to say tonight is, uh, is gleaned from John Piper. I'm a John Piper devotee, so uh, if you don't know much about Piper, there's some resources here I'm going to point you to that will introduce you to him. In my estimation, he is an excellent biographer. Uh, and everything I've read by him, by him in terms of biography has been incredibly helpful. And so uh, just a couple of things that he said. He said, God ordains that we gaze on his glory dimly mirrored in the ministry of his flawed servants. He intends for us to consider their lives and peer through the imperfections of their faith and behold the beauty of their God. Extra, extraordinary and incomplete specimens of godliness and wisdom have kindled worship in the hearts of reminiscing saints. 10,000 stories of grace uh, and truth are meant to be remembered. Those who nurture their hope in Christ in the history of grace will live their lives to the glory of God. Uh, Piper is, uh, is a man who... As you'll see, I, I gave you a, an addendum to these notes. The last pages are a, uh, a paper that he put together encouraging the reading of biography. And he goes through and talks about how studying biography has benefited his own life spiritually. And so, uh, you know, as we, as we think about this, uh, that, that encouragement to study biography is a biblical encouragement. Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, there's a quote in here. Uh, Piper says, perhaps Hebrews 11 is the most compelling biblical mandate for reading Christian biography. All those biographies, uh, all those biographical lessons in faith seem like an overwhelming summons to keep finding such stories and consider them. And I put some passages from the New Testament in there uh, that, that encourage us to uh, reflect on how... People live with Christ. Paul said, you know, follow me as I follow Christ. In Philippians uh, 3.17, Paul said, not only observe my life, but observe the lives of other people who walk in, uh, in fellowship with Christ and in obedience to him. And so there's just a, a number of kind of avenues of encouragement to reflect on biography. And certainly Paul, I think in five, on five different occasions in the New Testament, says... Uh, look at my biography, observe my life. And uh, to the extent that I reflect the person of Christ, follow me and learn from me. He also said this, the glory of God, however dimly, is mirrored in the flawed lives of faithful servants. God means for us to consider their lives and peer through the imperfections of their faith and behold the beauty of their God. Their life-giving lessons written by the hand of divine providence on every page of history 
And this is a theme we're going to look at now just for a moment. The great German and the great Frenchman drank from the great African, and God gave the life of the Reformation. And uh, we're going to try to connect those dots between Augustine and Luther and Calvin because uh, it was that, uh, that flow of uh, particularly an understanding of God's grace that, uh, that surfaced in what we know as, as the Protestant Reformation. And it's, it's so fascinating to me that, uh, that two of the three people who were instrumental in that movement were Roman Catholics, Augustine and Luther, both uh, Catholic a bishop and a monk, uh, were the ones that gave us uh, the impetus to, to leave the Catholic Church and reestablish biblical Christianity during the Reformation. And uh, we'll touch upon that. I, I gave you some resources there. Uh, you can go to desiringgod.org, which is John Piper's website, and go over on the, on the subject line and drop down, or just do a search for biographies. And I think there are 35 or so biographical studies that uh, Piper has done on a whole variety of Christians, Calvin, Luther, and Augustine included. And you can listen to those, watch the DVDs of his lecturing on those folks in their lives. You can print out the, uh, the manuscript that, uh, that he presents. And so in whatever format is easiest for you, if you like to read it or you want to just listen to it or you want to actually watch it, it's all there. It's all free and available. And I would encourage you to go and to, uh, to just reflect with him on the lives of some incredible Christians that lived through the years. And uh, as I mentioned, I attached that paper at the end that is just his own experience of why biography was so critical in, in his development and maturing as a, as a believer. Um, so let's get past that and... Uh, and look just for a moment at, uh, at Calvin. And uh, Calvin was primarily a pastor and a preacher. Uh, he did a number of other things, but he's primarily recognized as someone who, uh, who pastored people and who preached God's word. And one of the things we'll look at as we finish tonight is uh, how Calvin went about preaching. He had a very, uh, a very specific way that he believed was God honoring in terms of how to present God's truth. He preached about 10 times every two weeks in Geneva. And uh, as we'll see in, in just a moment, uh, faithfully uh, preached through the scriptures. And we'll look at, look at his preaching style in just a moment. But I just asked the question there. Now, this is on page four. Um, I, well, my pages are going to be different. Bottom of page three, or t bottom of page two. Yeah, okay. Uh, bottom of page two. I'll have to keep looking on that because I've got one slide where you can see. Um, and I just asked the question, how did a Roman Catholic bishop living 450 miles southeast of Rome in North Africa in the city of Hippo in the year 391 to 430 AD protect the true gospel for a reformation that would take place in Germany and then in Switzerland 1,000 years later under the leadership of a German monk and a French lawyer living in Switzerland, or living in Geneva. Actually, it wasn't Switzerland yet. It was just a city-state of Geneva. But the, uh, the critical thing is, is to connect the dots here between these three men. 
Uh, there was a lot that they differed in. Uh, they differed in uh, a number of points of theology. But the thing that uh, was consistent throughout each of their lives and ministries was a recognition of the grace of God and the centrality of grace in the experience of salvation. And it was that theme that Luther got from Augustine and Calvin got from Luther and Augustine that, uh, that fueled the Reformation. And so we're going to look at, uh, at that and, and try to reflect on that uh, together. Um, this is another quote from Piper. The faithfulness of God triumphs over the flaws of men. Augustine, and there are his dates, Luther and his dates, and John Calvin and his dates, had this in common. They experienced and built their lives and ministries on the reality of God's grace. Each of them confessed openly that the essence of experiential Christianity is the glorious triumph of grace over the guilty impotence of man. And uh, we'll see that as, as we look at these, uh, these uh, Christians, flawed as they were. All of them uh, had areas in their life that they struggle with. None of them lived perfectly uh, before the Lord. And yet they were men that God was able to use in, in incredible ways to recapture the essence of Christianity from its eclipse during the Middle Ages uh, through um, the Roman Catholic Church primarily. Um, I've already talked about Augustine's influence. Uh, John Calvin in his Institutes of the Christian Religion quotes Augustine 173 times, more than any other author that he quotes. Uh, obviously, Luther was an Augustinian monk, so he had, to, he had to know Augustine backwards and forwards, and it's, it's that influence. And y'all have already studied Augustine, I believe, and Luther, and Luther both. So you may, this may be already covered. No, it, it has to be worth hearing, even if it's repeated. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, and, and one of the things that's fascinating is Augustine, a number of the things he believed um, were not biblical. He believed in baptismal regeneration, for example. He believed in uh, the church as the repository of divine truth. I mean, there were just a number of areas that he was, we would say, uh, very, very deficient in his understanding of the scriptures and in his theology. But he got it right when it came to how a person became a Christian. And that was the thing that, that fed into uh, Luther's discovery of that and Calvin's, Calvin's discovery of that. How do you explain it? How do you explain to that can be so wrong with um, I think I would explain that by just saying that that's just a, a mirror of myself. Exactly. I sort of say, look in the mirror. I, I mean, that's what I do. Um, <laughs> but, but I mean, that's so basic in principles. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not like you, you know, you steal a lollipop. I mean, that's simple. Yeah. yeah I think part of it, Phil, is um, that Augustine lived in, in the 400s. The Roman Catholic Church as a church was organized in 600 A.D. and then began to, uh, to uh, influence in a controlling and, uh, and, and burdening way the shaping of its own theology. 
And so really Augustine was prior to that in a lot of ways. He anticipated some of it in terms of his view of the church and his view of baptism. But uh, I'll just tell a story. Um, when uh, when uh, George Whitfield and John Wesley became close friends, um, those two men differed from each other significantly in terms of their theology. And there's a great story about someone approaching Whitfield at one point and saying to him, uh, do you feel like you're going to see John Wesley in heaven? And Whitfield said, no, I, I don't think I'm going to see him in heaven. He'll be too close to the throne. That's a powerful perspective. We differ like night and day theologically. But uh, Whitfield recognized that John Wesley knew God in a profound way. And uh, even though they would have debated each other theologically, they respected each other's heart. And I think that's something of, of these men. Uh, each of them, uh, we, don't, uh, we don't celebrate communion like Martin Luther celebrated communion. Uh, so, you know, as, as, as folks encounter Christ and encounter the scriptures and come to convictions and conclusions, often they differ from others. And, and these men were the same. I don't know if that helps, but that's sort of how I try to think through it. And I would say yeah. two other things, too. One, culture always impacts theology. And just like democracy causes us to look at church one way, an empire, a Roman empire, caused Augustine to look at, at the church another way. This is the institution through which truth um, Comes And also the title of our series is We're Dwarfs Standing on the Shoulders of Giants. They were, we have it, if we have it right now, more than these other guys did. You'll see a lot of things come together in Calvin. Um, but if we have it right, it's because of the work that's been done before us. And Calvin would look at Augustine and say, well, no, he's got this right, but not this. And Uh, he, he believed that when, in order to be legitimately a Christian, you had to be baptized. So that it was the act of baptism that was synonymous with conversion. So you were regenerated through the act of baptism rather than through the act of belief. And that, that gets back to Phil's point. How could someone believe in baptismal regeneration and yet be so clear on the nature of grace? I mean, it... it it doesn't make sense. But grace, uh, people understand. Now, we, we, we don't believe this at all, but people understand grace is, is it, it, God dispenses grace through baptism and through the sacraments. And we would say, no, no, that's works. But we believe God dispenses grace when you walk forward in a service and pray a prayer in a particular way. So it's not, I, I would take that way quicker than I would take grace's dispense through through baptism but even still Augustine would have recognized that salvation only comes from God because of his grace do you have to be baptized well yes but that's how God dispenses grace um, let me just run through kind of the key points of his uh, his linear life uh, so that we have a sense of 
the kinds of things, because one of the questions at the end is going to involve how does God get you and me at the right place at the right time? And there are some experiences that John Calvin had that uh, are not typical, but they were the very experiences God used in his life to get him to the place he needed to be at the time he needed to be there. And so uh, Calvin was born in uh, 1509. Uh, he was born into a Roman Catholic home, very serious Roman Catholic home. His father was a lawyer, and his father actually worked for the bishop of the town that John Calvin was born in. So his father worked for the church. And, uh, and as a result of that, Calvin grew up in France with, uh, with aristocracy. He, he grew up with the wealthiest and most educated and brightest people in the community that he lived in. Uh, at 14 years of age, <clears throat> his father sent him to Paris to prepare to enter university. And because his father was a Roman Catholic and because his father wrote, worked for the bishop, his thought was, my son needs to be a priest. So he sent him to Paris to begin to study theology. It was very humanistic theology, but it would prepare him to be able to go into the priesthood. And uh, that prevailed um, until uh, Calvin's father fell out of favor with the Roman Catholic Church. He had some issues with the with the Roman Catholic Church, and so he called his son home and he said, now, uh, you were studying to be a priest, but I don't want you to do that, I want you to study law. So I'm sending you back to Paris and you're gonna study law, you're gonna become a lawyer just like me. And so Calvin went back to Paris, uh, began to study law, uh, completed his law degree, but right about that time his father died. And Calvin, for the first time, felt free to pursue his own personal passion. Now he was a brilliant man and he was a scholar and his, his uh, genius and his mental abilities were recognized even in his, in his youth. But uh, his, his passion was the classics. And so that's what he wanted to do. And he envisioned his life as being a life of a retired scholar who just uh, had the leisure to read the classics and write books about the classics. And so uh, he was on his way to, uh, to Germany uh, to do that. He had gone uh, back to, uh, to Paris. Uh, in, in the midst of that, um, Calvin in, in 1533 uh, had a, an experience of uh, conversion. It was apparently a very sudden and dramatic experience of coming to know Christ. And the suddenness and the dramatic nature of it was what uh, formed the basis of what we'll look at in just a few moments. His, his view of Scripture was that Scripture is self-authenticating, that you read Scripture and the Holy Spirit uh, puts in your mind, in your, in your heart, uh, the weightiness of the authority of Scripture, and you don't really need anything else. You just proclaim the truth, and it's self-authenticating, and, and you're brought to respond to the truth. That was his experience. And so he began to articulate that as his conviction about uh, the nature of the Bible and the nature of uh, why it was important to preach the Bible. But uh, he, he came under the influence of, of friends and others who were being uh, influenced by Luther and by the Reformation that was going on in Germany. And so I gave you a quote there, and I'm not going to take the time to read that, but it's his, his reflection on his own conversion, and that's where he talks about his, uh, that he was suddenly converted uh, by 
we would understand and scholars would believe by simply reading the scriptures. Uh, so you can read through that quote uh, when you have an opportunity to. Um, Calvin had to leave France under, uh, under threat of death. The Roman Catholic Church began to identify those that had Lutheran thinking as heretics and began to persecute uh, those who had any kind of uh, affinity with the Reformation that was going on in Germany. And so Calvin had to leave France, and uh, he was headed uh, to Germany, to Strasbourg. But on his way, there was a war going on, and he couldn't go from where he was in France to where he needed to be in Germany. He had to go by kind of a circular route, and he ended up spending the night in Geneva. And uh, he had already written the Institutes by this point, and he was known. And so when he got to Geneva, someone told the leader of the Reformation in Geneva, hey, John Calvin's in town. And so William Farrell went over to where Calvin was staying and began to uh, tell Calvin that he really needed to stay in Geneva and help the cause of the Reformation. And Calvin said, no, you know, I, 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 I want to study the classics. I want to go and, uh, and just be a scholar and a professor in that area, and uh, I'm not really interested in staying here. And it was at that point that Farrell pronounced judgment on Calvin and said, if you leave this city and you go to do what you want to do, God is, God is going to, he's going to get you. And, uh, and John Calvin, in describing that, and I gave you the quotes there that he uses in the Institute, in, in his institutes, uh, said, I was terrified. I, I just changed all my plans and stayed there in Geneva because this man was, uh, was so forceful in saying that God is going to bring judgment on you if you leave this city. You need to stay here and you need to help us in the cause of the Reformation. And so part of that question of how God gets us in the right place at the right time is, uh, is circumstances, providential, divine circumstances, uh, and we may not understand it at the time, and Calvin certainly didn't, and he was fighting it with everything that was in him. He didn't want to stay, but he, uh, he felt at the end of the day that he needed to change his plans and stay, which he did. Um, uh, in, in, the, uh, in 1536, is, um, uh, let's see here, um, he went back to France briefly, uh, and then came to Geneva. Um, the, uh, I think I've gotten that. There's a quote there in terms of Farrell and in that exchange um, when he just pressured uh, Calvin into, uh, into staying. And uh, so Calvin was appointed as the professor of sacred scripture and the pastor of St. Peter's Church in Geneva. That was a, Geneva was French speaking and so he didn't have any language barriers although um, often uh, he would preach in Latin. He was very fluent in Latin. Um, he was there for about three years, and uh, the city council in Geneva um, began to uh, just find his, his dominance and his influence objectionable, and so they threw him out of town, made him leave. And uh, he went back to Strasbourg and, uh, and stayed there for a while, and then uh, the city council, three years later, called him to come back to Geneva, which he was reluctant to do. He still just wanted to be an academic and to study the classics and lead a quiet uh, you know, life of a scholar. But again, uh, 
another Reformation um, person uh, got a hold of him, Martin Bucer, uh, and told uh, Calvin that he had to be involved in the Reformation. Uh, he just couldn't retire as a scholar. And uh, Bucer said, uh, Calvin, you're, you're just like Jonah. And you're running away from God and running away from his will. And again, Calvin had such a sensitive spirit that uh, that really got to him and, uh, and terrified him. And so uh, ultimately, um, he went to Strasbourg, and then three years later, he came back to Geneva um, when they, the city council uh, recognized that he was a man of God and that they needed his spiritual leadership in the city. Um, one of the things that we'll look at in just a few moments is... Uh, when he was in, in Strasbourg, he, uh, he pastored about 500 French people who had, had left France under persecution and had ended up uh, in Germany uh, because that city was a, a Reformation city and they wouldn't be persecuted. And that's where he met his wife. And uh, she was actually in his congregation. She'd been married. Her husband died in a, in a, a plague that swept through uh, that part of the world. And uh, so she was a widow with two children. Uh, Calvin fell in love with her, married her. And they had three children of their own, all three of whom died in infancy. His wife, uh, he and his wife were only married for nine years before she died. And so he had a lot of suffering in his life, a lot of pain. Um, one thing that he said that I thought was so interesting, it sort of gives you a feel for this man and how he approached all of his life. Uh, after the death of his firstborn son, who died about two weeks after he was born, uh, Calvin wrote to a friend these words, The Lord has certainly inflicted a severe and bitter wound in the death of our baby son, but he is himself a father and knows best what is good for his children. Uh, Calvin believed and a big God, and a God that loved him so deeply that he as a father would do what was best for his own children. And so Calvin was able to, uh, to navigate some very painful personal circumstances and losses. Uh, in the midst of being persecuted, his life was always under threat. People came uh, when he would be preaching. They'd fire guns in front of the church. They would come to his home and threaten him. Uh, he was... He was undoubtedly uh, not able to uh, pursue daily life without a lot of uh, stress and difficulty. And his health was not, uh, was not good. Um, but he ended up coming back to Geneva, and he spent the last uh, years of his life, about 25 years, in Geneva. That's where he died. And he spent those last 25 years pastoring a church, uh, preaching and teaching uh, and writing other commentaries on the Bible. Um, his works include uh, about 48 volumes of tracts and sermons and commentaries and letters. Um, it was under Calvin's influence in Geneva that Geneva became the center of Protestantism. And he, he had a, a pastor's college there where he trained pastors and he sent them out uh, all over Europe. And the things that resulted from what Calvin did in Geneva over those years was the Presbyterian Church in Scotland, the Puritan movement uh, in England, uh, and in the Reformed Church of the Netherlands. 
Um, he had a tremendous impact on George Whitfield. He had a tremendous impact on a number of other folks who, who led the church in, in very significant ways. So that's kind of a, an overview of his life, and we're going to take a break and then come back and we'll look at some of what he believed about, uh, about preaching and about the scriptures.